So the big question is this, where do CAD professionals like us who don't have specific training available to them on how to become a CAD manager, yet are compelled to advance their careers by accepting this often misunderstood, underappreciated, and occasionally unsupported leadership role? Where can they find the CAD manager specific insights not taught anywhere else? And how can they accomplish this while also striving to remain highly productive and billable on projects? These are the questions and this podcast is your guide to the answer. My name is Eric DeLeon and welcome to the CAD Manager Confessions Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the CAD Manager Confessions Podcast. In this episode, I'm continuing my next masterclass series by interviewing another fellow CAD professional. Now, I would like to introduce my next guest, Craig Diesiger. Craig is from the Kellingspell, Montana area. He is a CAD manager and the man behind the Handyman's Guide brand. Welcome to the podcast, Craig. Thank you. Man, between your last name and where you live, man, it was a trying to, <laughs> it was a interesting intro. Say God's country. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Hey, man, again, um, like we were talking about a few few seconds ago. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being flexible. And um, you and I have had some scheduling challenges, but nonetheless, uh, thank you for being here. You're most welcome. I'm excited. So. Um. Now, one of the things I wanted to start to kick this off is uh, share something about yourself that most people don't know. Well, those that are close to me know this, but not not many people know that my true love is coaching baseball. So I've coached baseball for 25 years before giving it up here just a couple of years ago, high school uh, level baseball, and just love doing it. So had several several kids over the years play college ball after leaving me. So it, it was a, a great passion. So. Right on now. Did you have any kids? Did you play in high school? What got you into coaching? Well, I played a little in high, uh, when I was in school, I should say. Um, but I come from a small town, so uh, really didn't have high school baseball. So, it was just a love and something that, uh, you know, a friend of mine one time said, hey, why don't you try helping me out? And I just grew into it. So, um, so, and just enjoyed it. Yeah, 25 years, though, man, that's a, that's quite a bit. So in that 25 years, what's, what's what part of the game that, sticks out the evolution of a part of the game that sticks out to you the most to me i i gravitated more towards pitchers so to me i i was constantly looking at new technology you know in a lot of ways it parallels my cad career because i was you know it's always about research and keeping up with technology, learning new techniques, but not forgetting where you came from. Um, So I was fortunate enough to meet a guy named Tom House and Tom and me clicked and was able to work with him for years. And he taught me a lot about the game and it 
really evolved my coaching ability and I learned a tremendous amount from him as I can think of hundreds of thousands of people that have learned from Tom. So um, that to me was one of those advancements in the game that I've seen that just he he's involved the game and especially pitching over the years. So I enjoyed learning from him. Nice. Now, now I'm a coach as well, or former coach at least, coaching basketball for my former high school and then my kids once they got into an age where they could play. And um, I loved it. I love just being a part of the game and, you know, uh, helping the next generation learn and equip themselves and watching them improve and seeing them, you know, from day one to the last day of the season and just the strides they make. Now, as a coach, I'm curious what, from being a baseball coach, being in that kind of setting, how has that given you an advantage as being a CAD manager and, and what you do every day? Well, to me, everything in life has to do with confidence. And I've always been one that's soft-spoken, uh, willing to, to talk people up and explain to them that, you know, it, things are only as difficult as you make them. So um, in both baseball and catch management, it's all about really helping your, your team get the most out of each other and perform what you can and, and understand everybody's still learning and just keep moving forward and keep that positive spin on things. So I, I really apply both philosophy or that philosophy to both baseball and CAD management. So to me, that was the big thing that I probably apply the most, you know, so. Nice. So I guess to kick off our questions here. So where do you work? How long have you been there and what do you do? So this is going to be interesting. I've, uh, I've only been with the company I'm with currently, uh, Adura, who is, you know, a large, large firm. They're well over 1200 employees and 70 offices across most of the U S really the South through, um, the West coast and up here to the Pacific Northwest. Um, I'm their Northwest region CAD manager. We have four CAD managers uh, based on region, and I've only been with them since January. Um, prior to that, I was with the company for 25 years and was at times considered the, you know, their CAD manager, and they were three, 400 employees and really didn't believe in the position, but really liked pushing that responsibility off to me. I did all their training and um, and standardization and rollouts and things like that. Basically did all the duties for them for years. And, you know, at times, depending on who you talk to, I had that title. So, um, so it's been a refreshment coming to a company that really supports the CAD manager role and really believes in it. So... 
Yeah. So how how does it work with your four regional CAD managers? What's the dynamic there when it comes to you know global CAD standards? Is it really by yeah. a region look and feel, or do you guys get put your heads together and really come up with one central um, corporate it's, standard? It's one central. We work pretty close with each other. Um, we're just now starting to tackle the the standardization really because you know five years ago Adura was 70 employees and five offices and now they're 70 offices and over 1200 employees so it's uh, wild <laughs> so um needless to say there's growing pains um, yeah for sure you know so we're really working hard to standardize company-wide so for workload sharing and things like that so um it's the melding of everybody's standards into one is what we're trying to do and not step on too many tools toes but make sure everything is not affecting you know product productivity so we we work pretty close with each other um and really put our egos aside and personal preferences aside and do what's best for everybody. Yeah, so. right on. Yeah, I'm doing something very similar in my firm. Um, 15, right over 1,500 people, you know, 30-some offices, five states. So, yeah, it's 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 really the, the devils and the personal preferences <laughs> that everybody has and trying to come up with the consensus across, you know, from a global standard um, and then with considerations of each of the practices and or disciplines. So uh, yeah, most definitely so put this way, right. It's never a boring day at the office having to deal with. No, <laughs> no. It, it's, it's amazing how you think you're starting to get everything figured out and then someone drops something on you and you go, really? You're doing it that way? You know, it, it, there's lots to it. And then, you know, on top of it, I have a separate challenge from the other three. I'm fully remote. Oh, okay. So, um, you know, my parent office is Boise, Idaho, um, which is a four hour flight for me. Um, so, and her six hour drive either way. So, I don't get to see my the people that I work with very often, except through team skulls and things like that. So it it creates other challenges um, that you know is new, but we're working our way through and finding ways around. So yeah, right on. Now, are you? Are you a production CAD manager? Do you manage people? Do you have direct reports? It's just production. So I'm, I'm all about training, all about making sure everybody has the tools they need, um, you know, things like that. So not really managing people yet. That's something that keeps getting tossed around, but it's hard to give up that stuff when, you know, when you're buying a bunch of little companies and trying to meld them together they're used to managing their own people. So I don't see that happening yet, but I see it in the future. Yeah. Right on. Um, so how long have you been in CAD management 
officially and it sounds like unofficially. <laughs> unofficially, I'd probably say 10 to 15 years. Um, I know that's a wide number, but um, officially really two, two and a half years. So, um, but I've always been in that role. So the guy that my former company really looked to, um, to doing all that. So. Now, one of my favorite questions to ask is what is your CAD origin story? Where did this career kick off? Where was the dream? Where was the vision? Where was the inspiration? So it, uh, Started and I'm really going to date myself. 1983 <laughs> on version 2.1 of AutoCAD was my origin. Uh, I was a freshman in high school. Um, like I said, I was in a small community, but I had an awesome shop teacher that said that knew how to write grants. Kevin Rubel, uh, Mr. Rubel was his name. And I owe a lot of thanks to him. Um, he wrote a grant that got a pin plotter, a four pin plotter, you know, the old digitizers, um, computer software, everything, and said, we're going to learn this software together. Anybody, anybody want to join the class where I'm looking for five to six kids? And my hand went up pretty quick and that's all she wrote from there. I, I just, I fell in love with it. Um, came out of high school saying, I'm either going to draft or I'm going to teach or I'm going to um, work on a golf course. <laughs> so, and I initially worked on the golf course and realized I can't make a good, good enough living in Montana on that. So I went back to school and got, into the CAD world. So, um, and have never looked back. So, and I've also taught. So, yeah, it sounds like you hit all the, uh, all the, all the points yep. that you had coming out of high school. <laughs> yep. So, um, what, what, what was very the, fortunate. yeah, what was the, what was the, what were the challenges? trying to get into technology being in a small town because i know sometimes you go you know again i don't i'm not gonna say this for everywhere but most of the times i go to small towns it's like going back 20 30 years just because it's just the, it's just the way of the the culture and the way that the people are which is it's fine yeah but i know sometimes the challenges of modern would, modernization stuff i look back and i think you know we were really fortunate at my school but it was because of teachers like Kevin Rubel that wrote these grants to, to get this wonderful equipment. You know, it wasn't like the taxpayer dollars were paying for it. It was a grant that Autodesk put the software in front of them. And this is before Autodesk put software in every room for free. Yeah. You know, at that time they were still trying to make it. So, um, I was just fortunate enough to have someone like that. Um, I felt like, you know, I didn't have to push for technology. It was there at my fingertips because of guys like Kevin Rubel. So um, I don't know that I can 
tell you what the challenges were. You know, we were a small, a very small school, maybe maybe 15,000 people in the town, little town of Eureka, Montana. So um, it, I, I felt like we were fortunate for it, but it was the right fit for us. Um, you know, we were a logging community. Mm -hmm. And so everybody either was a logger or, you know, basically had something to do, lumber mill, something like that. So to me, CAD made total sense because I didn't want to, I didn't want to go into that industry, but my background was running heavy equipment and things like that. So the civil world came easy to me. So technology just was natural, you know. So if you're in the logging town, if you're in the logging town, then what kind of, and it's probably a lot of folks just naturally went into that. It's probably one of the biggest, one of the bigger employers, right? Yeah. Um, we had, we had, in Oregon, we had some of that with logging and mills. And so there was that small town that was like the place to work. So then what was your, what would, what would have been your first job then with your degree um, doing, doing per, drafting professionally? My first job was with a, an engineer, a civil engineering firm. I was hired right out of school. Um, I, matter of fact, I had a full, full year left. I went to ITT for my two year degree. And the guy that hired me said, with your background, you know, I was running a little D3 cat before I knew how to drive a car. And <laughs> nice. he, he knew I understood, you know, what it took to build a road, what how, how to lay a culvert. I may not understand the principles behind it, but I knew what it should look like. Mm -hmm. I had an understanding of how it was built. And to me, that's what got me through the door. It wasn't, I could have still been just learning CAD. Um, he, the way he always described it was you had street smarts. And that's something he couldn't teach. Yeah. So, um, so technology, really, I, I still to this day say technology is not what got me into the business. It was, it was my background, my heritage. That's crazy. Yeah. So you're probably what? So how old were you when you started? I always find it fascinating when you go to small towns and you see like twelve year olds on these big old tractors and they're the I ones was, <laughs> they're driving it. And... I was probably 11 or 12. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I, I would spend the summers up in the woods with my uncles and my family owned one of the lot, uh, one of the mills in town. And, you know, my, I was building logging roads, you know, when I was that age. So That's wild. That's crazy. So it was a lot of fun. I I'm thankful every day for that childhood so what are some challenges that that you run into as a cad manager and what actions are you taking to overcome those challenges so to me the biggest challenge and i almost hate to say it because i don't know who's going to hear this but my biggest challenge is the remoteness um i enjoy being remote don't get me wrong it's the not understanding every day what's going on. Um, it's not always as easy for people to come to me and 
ask those questions because, you know, technology, you would think it would be real easy, but it's still easier to look over your shoulder and say, hey, I'm having this issue. Um, so I, I tend to have to do a little more communicating via the phone and things like that, that takes some time, you know, but just calling and checking in with people and saying, Hey, you know, not really looking for anything, but just talking, finding out, you know, how often and picking up on pain points from them to help resolve things like that. So to me, it's the remoteness and learning how to listen. And here again, it goes back to that coaching, um, understanding, you know, when I was coaching kids, it was understanding there's more to life than the, or, you know, more to the game than just, you, you got to bring that human element into it. So you're trying to pick out what those pain points are and what you can do to help without them communicating, hey, I'm having this issue. Because most people aren't willing to admit their faults. Um, so you kind of got to find those holes and help them fill those holes. If that makes sense. So no, most definitely. That's always interesting though, right? Because I think and I just in previous episodes as well, you know, talking about listening being one of the traits of a great CAD CAD manager and how sometimes we as CAD managers can get ahead of ourselves into trying to fix the problem before the people even even though we may know the answer, but allowing the people, allowing us to listen, <laughs> listening and allowing them to get their, let them be able to speak what they need to speak about. Um, you know, like you said, so that way we can listen. And sometimes you have to listen between the lines um, to yep. figure some other stuff out. Right. But if we don't take the time to listen, then we may lose out on an opportunity to truly help them. Right. I'm not sure which interview I heard with that, but, I went, oh, man, it was something that I didn't realize I was doing some of the time. But I did, get, I since I heard that, I have caught myself several times not listening. And it's amazing how easy it is just to get into that funk. And maybe that's one of the benefits of being remote is it's easier to step back and, and listen because you're not sitting there with all eyes on you wondering, okay, what are you doing? You know, type thing. I'm sure they're wondering, is he really working? Because I'm not in the office, <laughs> yeah. but, but it is a little easier, I think, to listen being remote because you don't have that pressure of all eyes on you type thing. So um, there's benefits there, but yeah, that listening is definitely a, a great trait that I'm still learning. Yeah, I so. think we, yeah, we all can do better. And it's the, and I like to say, it's the listening with the, with the, with the three second pause at the end, because right, because people truly don't like that, that awkward void. So they start talking more. <laughs> it's awesome. And so it's like, ah, and so uh, anyway, it's one of those little hacks that I learned along the way. And it's proven time and time again to, Let's yeah, I didn't, yeah. <laughs> that's another one that came up during one of your episodes and I didn't realize I was doing that just naturally 
waiting and it, there's some of some of those things that I greatly feel that I I was doing but didn't realize I was doing type things that I I've really thought oh that's a pretty neat little trick and to start implementing it a little more more cognizant of it I guess so I think a lot of that too I think if you did it naturally naturally without if you did it naturally but not really realize that you were doing it I also wonder if some of that is part of the art the coaches in us yeah. right because when we're dealing with this for myself when I'm either dealing with the other coaches or with with my players right there's always your we do that all the time you're like they're you're going through plays or they're trying to get feedback and so we all just kind of just listen to all the different perspectives so we can let everybody's voices be heard and things like that so on uh, your multitasking you know because yeah. you're listening to this piece but you're also thinking about what's coming up or you know how this is going to affect this group or you know it's it's a team thought process so you have to be multitasking as you're doing it so it's there's that kind of listening in the process too so but it's definitely an interesting dynamic that I wasn't sure about when I took this position, but I'm starting to grow to the point where I'm comfortable in it. And I think it's, it's becoming viable. I was, I, I wasn't confident in it when I started. So it, it, what's, the, what's that? So the lack of confidence, what's that mean? If you don't mind expanding on that, I mean, what's that like, obviously you've been to this for a long time. So confident I mean, to me, you'd have the, should have the confidence of, I've been doing this for a long time, so I do know what I'm doing, but it, or the yeah. lack of confidence of it's a new job. I have to, I have to. It, it's prove a new myself, job. Prove myself. It's a new job. Yes. Um, you know, in the CAD world, especially in the civil world, there's five or six different ways to do things. Correct. Um, it's the results the same. So there's confidence in understanding how they're used to doing things, not want to come in and change everything. And here again, back to the coaching aspect, I never coached or taught a kid how to hit pitch the same way, you know, principles. Yes, but they can throw the ball a little different, you know, um, to take an analogy from Tom house that he said, he always said, to learn a kid's true arm slot or how they should throw, put a blindfold on them, put a rock in their hand and tell them to throw it. And that's the, the arm movement that you want to mimic because they're, they're not thinking about anything. And so I, I take that approach with workflows and things like that. So it's what makes logic logical sense to them and so the lack of confidence in some of that stuff is just not knowing how they're used to doing things coming into this company brand new yeah um if, if i'd come up through the ranks with them i'd understand that stuff and so they're as i'm learning how they're doing that um the confidence is coming back you know because um but I'm also improving ways that they're doing things. So 
that's also helping with the confidence. Um, but it's coming also coming from a firm of 300 employees to a firm that's well over 1200, mm -hmm. you know, I was a the big fish in a small pond. Now I'm medium, you know, to small fish in a bigger pond, yeah. you know, it, you know, it's so it's not knowing. And then you got the remoteness, um, that you don't know really what people are thinking. Are they thinking you're full of it or <laughs> are they believing what you're selling type thing? Yeah. Um, so I attack that different ways. I'm, I'm not a flamboyant person and I'll be the first one to say, I, I don't know everything there is to know. And I, if I'm not learning from you, then I'm probably not doing my job well enough. Yeah. So, so yes, there's confidence, but it, the confidence has more to do with the unknowns that are hard to figure out from remoteness. So What is one thing you wish you knew earlier on in your career that you know now? Patience, probably. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I would probably say patient. Uh, whether it was coaching or, or had it, you know, I wanted it all and I wanted to learn it all now. Um, I didn't like not knowing how to do something. So I was right away in there. I probably spent far too much, too many free hours learning CAD on my own. Um, you know, new software come out. I was diving in head first, trying to become the best I could at it. And, you know, I probably missed out on a lot of things, not being patient and realizing I probably don't need to know it tomorrow. I can probably wait a few months and learn it um over a little longer time it's not a race it's a or not a sure. sprint it's a marathon yeah. so okay so i want to unpack one thing you said there and i think this is true to most of the the <clears throat> successful cat managers that i know is at some point in their career they realize that they're hungered to be the best that they could be. So pride in their work, pride in how they present themselves. Um, I think almost everybody I've interviewed at some point said that 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 they learned CAD or the new software on their own time. <clears throat> now, I'm not speaking for a lot of current folks, but I do know that a lot of a lot of newer um, professionals in in the corporate world um, want either corporate to pay for it or um, they just feel like it's just not required. Um, to me, I feel like it is. So one is when you did that on your own to get better at CAD, was that paid, unpaid? And then what was, again, maybe elaborate on the drive of what, what was the mindset in those moments where you're like, I have to, I'm going to put extra time into this. So to me, the mindset was, and this, this is how I was brought up. I'm investing in myself. Mm -hmm. um, 
So no, most of that time was not, you know, if I needed a book, a lot of times they would buy me this book, you know, typing a $56 book. Um, now it's 110 to $120 book. Yeah. Um, but I always felt, okay, if I invest this time now in the future, I'm going to get paid for that hour. Um, part of me says that's still true. Part of me says it's not. Um, I don't, you're right. I don't think a lot of today's youth coming out or even, you know, the prior class before that, you know, <laughs> it's an old school way of thinking about things, I think, in a lot of ways. But I'm also starting to see, I think, a lot of people realizing yeah, I have to put that time in, you know, and that's something I, I encourage them to do. I, you know, um, telling them some of the, the guys that I'm most excited about that I'm working with, I'm realizing they're picking up on that and are putting in their own time and rub it saying, okay, I want to, I want to get a heavy into scanning. So, they're doing it on their own time, trying to figure it out to show, hey, this is my interest and I can do this. And with the hopes that the company will move them towards that type of position um, and and let them grow. Um, so I think there's, there's still benefit in doing that. Um, I also did a lot of that on my own just because of the times I've lived through two maybe three recessions now yeah in my career and i always felt the more hats i could wear the better off i was i got a degree in surveying um never sat for my license but i knew i know surveying i know the civil side the design side the the software side to where if it comes down to me versus this guy getting laid off i felt like Okay, they're going to go with me because I can use more tools. And, you know, it goes to why I called myself the handyman was yeah. I wanted to make sure I had enough tools in the belt that I was valuable enough to not be let go. And I don't see that often anymore with people. And I'm, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back with that. I'm just saying it's a, an old school mentality you know that my grandfather was that way he knew you know that before technology that's he wanted to make sure he had could be a mechanic he could you know cut down a tree things like that he knew different things so that if things slowed down here he can move here and and keep making a living for their families so and you don't see that today yeah, one of the things I, I mentor on is, just like you said, right, like can you prepare yourself for if you can weather the storm of a recession? Um, do you want to get a bigger bonus or do you want to get a pay raise? Do you want to get a, a promotion into a new position, right? I mean, it's all about putting in the work now. It's almost like unseen work. I mean, it's seen, but it's under the radar because, you know, if you want to get 
the benefit reap the benefits of what you're doing you have to put a little more effort right so if you're just doing the status quo of your job description right we all have a job description um so and that's what they're paying you for is that job description so you can get a raise or bonuses by doing really good by performance uh, but same time though if you provide more value like you said right those guys learning the scanning and then you know, you on the weekends or on evenings learning the software better or new software that we should be using, that gets rewarded. And so I think we, I think we lose sometimes, um, you know, again, and it, it's, it's not just, it's not just new, you know, um, new professionals in the industry. I have some very lazy old school people as well. <laughs> so, you know, uh-huh. you can't be complaining. You know, I've been doing it for 30 years, but they're still redliners. Well, it's like, guess what? You're probably not going to get any kind of big raises or big bonuses because you're just doing the status quo. You got to shake it up a little bit in order to get to provide more value, more value is get some more return. So, yeah, but you do need those people. That's the the key to it. They're, they're still good in these. It's just to me, if they haven't accepted it, that's one thing. If they have accepted that that's the role they're going to be in. Correct. That that's great. But if they're not satisfied, then they need to step back, look in the mirror and say, what do I got to do to get myself? Yeah. To where I'm at? Cause nothing in this world comes free. Um, yeah. So to me, that's, that's what drove me was trying to provide and making sure my kids had what they needed growing up, things like that. And, you know, there's a fine line, and I at times feel like I stepped over that line to where I was letting my kids sacrifice instead of, you know, just to make sure they could go to Disneyland or Disney World or whatever. You know, um, that week didn't make up for the months that I missed other things. Um, they're memories that we we still have, but so if I was to go back, I'm not sure how driven I would have been and that so I see some of that view in today's world there's a fine line so you need to evaluate really what your priorities are and understand whatever you choose there's consequences and you're going to build from that so if you're happy being a redliner and there's there's room for you. Great. No, I agree. Well said. Well said. Um, what would you consider to be your CAD manager superpower? I, I forgot to even think about that one today. Um, <laughs> my superpower is probably I'm willing to transform and by that, I, I I love thinking outside the box. Um, so to me, when someone gives me a problem or and is looking for a solution, I think I most that that's when I'm at my best is trying to think. Okay, these are the tools I have. This wrench is usually used for this, but man, I can make it work here. So, you know, transforming something that isn't thought of to be used for 
this type of thing, you know, this, but making it work for that solution is, is something that I've been good at my whole life. So, um, so thinking outside the box or transforming. So I would say. That's really good. Yeah. I think one of the things that I was mentored on early was, um, I still carry to me today is that looking at at other industries to see how they're using the wrench <clears throat> because then it can bring inspiration of how to use the wrench in your industry. But if you're not keeping, if you're not, you know, if you're not either looking at what the other things the wrench can do or overall like experience, I mean, you can miss, you can, miss out on some opportunities of just being one dimension um, at the same time. But no, I like, and plus you as a superhero, you know, you have the utility belt already. So, you know, you got your yep. handyman's belt with lots of stuff on it. So. <laughs> yep. And that's, yeah. So to me, that's key is just being flexible, willing to transform and move things in a different direction. So just because it's an alignment doesn't mean it can't be line work or, you know, just plain line work. You know, yeah. there's lots of things, you know, alignments can be used for, you know, it's not always the center line of road. Yeah, for sure. I've done it for walls, <laughs> the front face the wall, you know, make that your, for a retaining wall and then project the width of it backwards. So, yeah. So, what are one or what are one or two CAD commandments that you live by without fail? Never double click on a drawing to open it. That's <laughs> okay. probably one of my biggest pet peeves. Um, I don't know because I'm I'm really it goes back to that last question. I'm so open minded about things that. I hate to put hard, fast rules on things, yeah. um, but, you know, I just, you know, double clicking is one thing that I just hate. <laughs> I'd rather you open it. Um, so I would say that's the one commandment that I live by, but to me, it's, you know, everything else, I, I, I like to keep an open mind. So, if I see someone doing something, I like to ask why. And, you know, if it doesn't make sense and there's issues to it, I'll correct them. Otherwise, I'd rather than do something that makes sense to them as long as it's not hurting the rest of the team. So um, I'm trying to even think of a good commandment to, you know, I just, I'm not a big fan of rules, so. Fair so, enough, fair enough. Yeah. <clears throat> what trait do you think someone needs to have to be a great CAD manager? I, I still think it's the willingness to sit back and listen. Um, you know, whether it's trying to solve an issue or whether you're looking at new technology, um, don't jump to conclusions too quick and, and listen to learn, 
you know, that new technology, if you rule it out right away, you're in trouble. Um, I'm going through that right now with cl the cloud with ACC. Mm -hmm. um, just before COVID, you know, I was being told by the civil community that cloud's the future, the cloud's the future. And I kept saying, I don't see it. I don't see it. And I had it ruled out how I'm tackling that and trying to get it implemented to where it, it's being used. And I'm all of a sudden realizing that I should have been here three years ago, four years ago. And, and now, now I feel like I'm playing catch up. So where if I'd stopped and listened, I would have understood the vision a little more. So I, I regret going back or, you know, it's easy to look back and say, I should have listened, but that really is true for most anything. If you're not listening here, you're, you're going to miss out. What current technology or trend are you the most excited about? I'm, I think it's the, the twin cities type things, uh, you know, the digital, digital twins. Um, because I've, I've had a big background in things like airports and and uh, large subdivisions that go on and on and on type work where they're large communities and mining and stuff like that to where I see that digital twin being such a beautiful tool for the client um, and for future projects and things like that that I'm really trying to figure out how to implement that type of stuff into my day-to-day -day. but I also think it's the future I mean it's going to save time effort down the road um, still got to do your truthing but I think it's such a could be such a powerful tool to help with cost with I mean unlimited amount of things so yeah I'm, you know yeah because digital twin you know it's kind of like the foundation for the digital project delivery right mm -hmm. that's that's a big buzzword going around now and you know how to provide more models be paper potentially paperless i mean it's it's just incredible where we're trending to due to the accelerations of technology tablet technology, AI technology, cloud technology. So it's just going to be really interesting. Um, yeah, we're all digital twin and all that goes, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I just think it's the future. I mean, we talk paperless. Um, in my mind, we've been paperless for quite a few years. I mean, everything we do is either transmitted through a PDF or yeah. a drawing. Now, I, I can't remember the last time I've seen a printed copy of yeah. a drawing. It's not a model, but it's yeah. it, it's not paper either. Yeah. So, or mylar or vellum or whatever. <laughs> so, but, um, so to me, that's where, yeah, I think the digital twin is just a interesting concept that I've, I've been interested in, so. Yeah, I guess I guess it's not necessarily paperless. It's more sheet list, right? Because yeah. we're trying to get rid of right. just using models, 
digital digital terrains, 3D models of physical bridges, buildings, roads. So, uh, but nonetheless, going to be interesting. Um, now, my next question, you kind of already answered it through what you just answered, but what are your thoughts on the future of CAD? Well, I, I don't, I, I do see it becoming more of a model driven world to where the information is in the object versus you spending all these hours trying to convey it. Mm -hmm. um, so much of, especially in the civil world is really, we like to think it's has a high tolerance, but really and truly if you were to as built your projects, how, how often is that project truly built identically to the 2D sheet that you yeah. provide with all the notes? Um, they're really building it based on the model um, in a lot of ways today. So to me, I, I, I just see that moving in that direction more and more. I know there's still going to be specs and things like that, but I just don't see the drawings conveying so much of that anymore. I think it's going to become the model and the object. We're still a long ways from it, but I, I see it going that direction. Yeah, I agree. I mean, one of the big, I think one of the biggest, well, one is at what point is, the, is it going to be the industry norm to have no sheets? <clears throat> right. That's going to, that's one of the one of the major hurdles, <laughs> and one of the other ones, in my opinion, is how can you from an from a professional engineering licensing board, how do you quote unquote stamp a three D model, right? Yeah. Who takes ownership, the accountability, where where does that risk lie? Um, who you know what kind of QAQC are you doing with models versus you know looking at two D plans and saying that's okay so it just seems like our we may do less effort in plans but that same energy is going to be into putting metadata specs into our models and you know doing more re, more object reviews of making sure everything in real real 3d world you know digitally on your desktop of how it all goes together and things like that so um it's just and that's where redliners Right. That's where, you know, you and I were trying to do a class on, um, you know, a, um, a panel on the death of a uh, the drafter, the redliner. It's it's the days are numbered <laughs> and, you know, so. <clears throat> but anyway. Well, they, and it has a lot to do with that's where software is going. It's it's yeah. design driven, not drafting driven. Yeah. anymore. Well, and that's where. Everybody, again, if you're listening to this and maybe you're you are a drafter, nothing wrong with that. We still you still have a place in this current market across all the industries. But just know, please, right now, just make an effort to learn some designing, learn some modeling. Um, it's going to you're going to reap the benefits uh, because it's going to come. It's going to come faster than we think. And then at some point. Is just going to be here <laughs> and then you're going to be behind. And so, um, but that's always the challenge because we're always just trying to focus on the deliverables that are due today 
not thinking about the deliverables of tomorrow. And so, you know, to me, the piece that the designer is missing today, um, they're hard to find and are still needed. You still need that expert because what, like it or not, the engineer is coming out with less education. And one of the things, you know, they've really cut out even it wasn't in there much as it was or should have been to begin with, but is the CAD side of things, the design software and stuff. They don't teach that at the university level. Yeah. It's an elective. So you have to have that person that knows how to, to design and understands how to use the software to teach the, the young engineers coming out, um, you just got to be humble enough to realize they're going to come in making a little less than you. And eventually they're going to be making more than you because they, but they also went through the four year degree, you know, to get their, their engineering license. You yeah. could have chose that. So yeah. this is the way I look at it. Um, so it's a matter of being willing to swallow a little pride, but, you're also going to have a very rewarding career by doing it. So, Where can the CAD Manager Confessions audience follow you in your journey? To me, the easiest place is LinkedIn. I'm, I'm not a huge media fan so or social media fan. So um, I'm very busy on LinkedIn. Um, you know, a lot of people don't think of Autodesk University is a social media site, but I'm heavily in that. Um, I've taught 14 different classes there over the years. So um, I'm very involved with Autodesk University and that's my way of giving back. Um, So um, I use Autodesk University as a way of meeting people, building my network. You know, it's not necessarily always about learning new technology. It's about knowing who to ask. Um, so I spend a lot of time there just trying to meet the right people, you know, get to know them, be willing to share what I know and stuff. So Autodesk University is probably that easiest way to learn who I am. But um, LinkedIn, I'm busy on that too. So before we say goodbye, any parting advice or thoughts to the CAD management community? To me, is it goes back to my core is listen, keep listening. You'll you'll eventually hear what you need to hear. Well, thank you for being a part of of this podcast, and for those listening to this episode, thank you for pressing play. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. If you found the things we talked about today valuable, I would be honored if you would subscribe, leave a review, or share your thoughts by leaving a comment or sharing a screenshot of the episode and tagging me on social media. Until next time, continue to challenge the status quo, be the leader you wish you had, don't be afraid to step into your greatness, and good luck in your pursuit for the perfect set of plans. Thank you for pressing play.